might say I'm understudy, might say I'm over the top, but there's like no free water, but soda pop is overstock. They say amazing grace. Hi everyone, it's Tanya from Tanya's Take. Happy New Year! So I knew that I was eventually going to get back on the mic and produce more episodes. I just didn't know when. And uh, just like that, and just like that came out. And suddenly, I feel the spirit and uh, am back on the mic. So I have been obsessed with the reboot of Sex and the City and just like that. And I haven't been obsessed because it's like, oh my God, I love it so much. I've been obsessed because it is wildly flawed. It has really caused me to think about so many things on so many different levels. And it actually has uh, given me the opportunity to do one of my favorite things, which is to look at pop culture through the lens of race, right? Hence the subtitle of this podcast, Race, Culture, and the Culture of Race. So, you know, this show, Love It or Hate It, is having a cultural moment. And one of the reasons why is because it tried to right a wrong from the original series Sex and the City by bringing more uh, a diverse array of characters into this new uh, reboot and just like that. So they've introduced these new characters. And one of the things we talk about in this episode with my friend Cheryl uh, is whether or not it's a success, whether trying to be more intersectional has gone well, what maybe has not gone so well. If you're not even a fan of And Just Like That or Sex in the City, there's a lot to take away from this episode because it's really about intersectionality, how to bring a collective together, how to keep the power dynamic in check so that you're not strictly creating a culture of yes, that new voices have decision-making power. We'll get into that. We'll get into how the show uh, grapples with aging. And we also will talk a little bit about friendship. Uh, my guest, Cheryl Grafe, actually has a new podcast coming out called Friends I'm No Longer Friends With. Um, I've been a guest on it, and in fact, she also recorded uh, And Just Like That episode to take a look at the way the show has handled the exit of the character Samantha. So again, sometimes a show comes along that you don't love, but that you actually watch for other reasons. And uh, within all of that, there's actually a lot to take away and hopefully do better with in the future. I'm back. I'll be recording more episodes. Cheryl and I are going to discuss the rest of the episodes left of And Just Like That. And I have a plethora of other ideas as well. So I'm back, babies. And hopefully better than ever before. So uh, please, please subscribe, follow, like, rate, five stars on any of the platforms where you listen to me. Please follow me on Instagram at Tanya's Take. I've been doing a lot of stuff on my story over there, including recapping and sharing thoughts and musings on the 1619 Project. There it is, our conversation on intersectionality, aging, friendship, life, love, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and shoes. We don't really talk about shoes. Cheryl Grace. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
present here. I was like, oh, this is going to go great. Um, <laughs> I will um, have you briefly, uh, whenever I have a guest on, I always like to um, talk about when we met. We'll do this briefly because what's exciting is Cheryl has a new podcast coming out, or by the time this airs, um, it will likely have launched. It is called Friends I'm No Longer Friends With, and um, there's actually an episode where we do talk about our friendship, but do you want to give a little um, snapshot of how we met? How we met? Oh, I love it. Uh, we're both, we both live in Chicago, and we're both actors and educators, so we met, we met through mutual friends and just sort of in the community, and then got close because of being co-teachers, and have continued to merge all our all those kind of lives together that is absolutely correct you win um <laughs> so um cheryl and i are going to talk about and just like that which um uh my case for having this on the podcast everybody is that uh in the attempt for uh this reboot of sex in the city uh which was a show that was criticized for not being diverse they have made attempts of making and just like that more diverse and um it has been a bit of a lightning rod for different kinds of conversations so this first conversation anyways that we're going to have is going to be sort of our impressions of the series thus far cheryl and i think it's important yes. i don't think you could talk about it and just like that without talking about sex in the city if you have been a longtime fan so i'm curious what is your relationship with and just i'm sorry with sex in the city um when did you first start watching it all of that i love it it took me a few episodes to get into it because in the beginning i was like mm, mm. um i was like eh, i don't eh, i don't know and then i started noticing there were at least one to three things per episode that i'd be like i've never seen something like that before on tv and never emotionally experienced a moment like right. that and i'll just highlight one of the things that i thought was really amazing was like the breakup of burger on a post-it yes. note i thought was and then and her reaction was i was like oh, mm -hmm. oh my god so there were moments that they would create I would say at least one per episode that I'd be like, this is why I watch yeah. the show because they make me experience some, they make me experience the situation differently than I've seen it before. So it was a rawness that they tap into. Yeah, totally. Um, I think so too. So I, that's what that moment I recall so significantly because it was like this display of anger coming from a likable woman that was such a wonderful surprise that we've never seen Carrie behave that way before. Um, yeah. So my relationship to Sex in the City is that I first learned of it, by the time I learned about it, it had become sort of a cultural phenomenon and the women were getting like appearing at award shows and I was so curious and everyone was talking about it, but I didn't have cable. And then by the time it finally got out on VHS, I like devoured them up until, but it was still mm. running. And then I started working someplace where I had access to HBO. So I would start to watch um, the, I think final, the fifth season. And then by the sixth season, I had HBO and I was fully invested and a, a fan of the show and did not see many, many, many of the problematic things um, then that 
you look back and see now. And I think most people would say that, although some people who it directly impacted might've been like, no, I saw it then too. You know, I think in particular, the mm -hmm. way they handled um, uh, transgender individuals. Oh my God. I mean, well, even it, I mean, last time I watched the movie, yeah. oh. the first movie, and she's interviewing a man who's wearing heels and then doesn't hire him because of yeah. the heels. I was like, well, this movie is outdated and this movie should not. The, the Look, second oh, we're one watching is this. a hate crime. Like, oh, oh my God. Well, the second one, you can't. It's yeah. unwatchable. It's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's it is awful. a it is a preview into some of the issues that we have encountered with and just like that because so when you look back at the second one you go oh I guess Miranda's behaviors I mean the way Miranda behaves when they're in Dubai is so Karen-y and awful and embarrassing then you start to go oh actually it's exactly where she left off but you would have hoped that she would have progressed right mm -hmm. progressed within mm -hmm. the time frame um that this series has emerged um okay so now mm -hmm. the series um, what made you start watching when you heard of it and got, it got on your radar? Were you excited? Were you skeptical? So I wasn't going to watch the, the series and just like that, I wasn't, I didn't feel called to, but I did once I found out that Samantha, of course, wasn't going to be there and they were going to address that and address a friendship break. And I was like, well, I'm doing a podcast. My podcast is all about friendship breakups and people, actual people come on and tell stories about friendships that broke and why they broke and what happened. And so I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to. So, so I just started um, watching it two weeks ago and now I'm caught up to today. Okay. So I um, had heard about it. There was so much about it. All the, you know, the, the leaks from paparazzi of, the women filming on set. I was not all that interested um, because the second um, movie was so awful, slightly intrigued. But then I started to get, you know, uh, this pop, this, I love pop culture. Mm -hmm. This, the subtitle of this show is, you know, race culture and the culture of race. Um, and for me, the culture part, so much of that is pop culture. So as I was getting wrapped up in all the stuff around it, all the buzz, I was like, oh shit, I'm in, I wanna watch. Um, and I did, and um, and have been, and it's been a thing. So, what? How have you journeyed through the past two weeks of consuming episodes? What do you think? What did you think? Uh, well, I started watching with my sister um, during the holiday break, and um, my mother-in-law was with what tried. I think tried to watch one episode with us, and she's like, "I'm over it. I don't like it. I'm out." I felt like they, they had an agenda and it wasn't written from the heart. It didn't feel like it was written from the heart or raw like the other one. It felt like we have to be very mindful. So it, feel, it feels a yeah. little in the head for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a person who, you know, does um, diversity, equity and inclusion and anti-racism um, work and um what i would describe the the show is a writer's room gone wrong and uh <laughs> <laughs> i wish you were and in that writer's room i uh what i think happened in the writing room is this 
And it is a great example of when you have uh, a group of writers who are white, who are determined to create a diverse writing room. You bring in folks who you find fun and interesting and grand and new. And those folks just happen to be so enamored and immersed in the power structure that is not explicit, but exists that you can't get any of the real work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So I listened to the um, Writer's Room podcast, which is the podcast of the writers of And Just Like That, mm -hmm. talking about every episode. Mm -hmm. And if you are a creative type, it's an interesting listen if you've been following And Just Like That, because they actually explain themselves. Mm -hmm. And the explanations aren't satisfying, but at least you understand sort of what colors they were trying to color with. But one of the things I picked up on right away that made didn't surprise me at all was the young um, writers that they have brought in who are, um, we have non-binary, we have a Black woman, we have an Indian woman, um, uh, ha are super fans of the show. And they mm. are so like... <laughs> worshiping of Michael Patrick King and the original writers. Well, isn't that and convenient? Really, well, right. And um, one of them even admits at one point that she's never, she's still a little afraid of Michael Patrick King, which means, and the way they all talk to each other is very much that sort of surface level, people who have not really gone deep, but think they've gone deep. Mm. So what that creates is a context, a culture where you can't really challenge people, right? Mm -hmm. And, mm. Um, but also mm. from the leadership position, they feel that they've done enough to bring in one, two, three different yeah. perspectives mm that they don't have, they don't go deep enough to recognize that, you know, just because you bring in these perspectives, they might be the wrong perspectives. Like, I think it was a really bad idea to make Miranda a Karen, right? I think it was really a bad idea to have that scene where she meets Naya Wallace, her professor, and she has that rambling monologue about not recognizing her because her hair is in braids. And, you know, the, the writers argue, yeah, we like those awkward moments. It's great. And, People who are upset about it were just seeing themselves in her. But here's the trick that was sex in the city all along was that women saw themselves in these women and it was aspirational. Mm. And to have the women possibly see themselves in Miranda in that moment is, is not aspirational. And it's off-putting not only for what the character is doing, but for the audience. Mm. And I don't, you know, I just don't know how much you want to mine from that. Mm. I mean, you can do it, mm. but ultimately something's going to fray mm. because I think women who come to watch something like, and just like that are trying to be anything but that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And when the character that you're sort of aspiring to is that, mm -hmm. there's a disconnect, yeah. you know? Yeah. Two things stand out to me that you're saying, which is that they felt that they did, we've done enough. Yep. And I think as soon as we, as soon as we come to something saying I've done, myself included, I mean, I, you know, if I think I've done enough, I think that that's, I just think that's interesting. And I don't, and I never think something yeah. is, huh, I think that's a dangerous place to live and I've done enough. Well, and I think that that's what's happening a lot in writer's room across um, television shows and movies is we bring in what, you know, we we quote unquote check the box, 
but then we don't really set up a situation where um, there's multiple perspectives from that marginalized group, right? So that they can bump up against each other. And there's a power dynamic. And um, I think the minute somebody in a power position brings somebody from a marginalized position in, they automatically assume that person is right about everything because they don't have anything to ban. That's part of the sort of um, discomfort with not being comfortable with people from different perspectives, right? So then like the first thing they say, you're gonna be like, yes, oh God. And well, they said it, so it must be right. Mm -hmm. And I can't challenge it because I don't know anything about this. Mm -hmm. So, and that's how you mm -hmm. have this, like things like the horrible justification for cultural appreciation versus cultural appropriation. What Seema says in the shop is not correct, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. What they did with Diwali in that episode absolutely was cultural appropriation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? They have one quick conversation mm -hmm. about it. The person who is Indian in the episode says, no, it's okay. And then they use Diwali as a backdrop. Mm -hmm. You learn nothing mm -hmm. new. No one else is amplified. Mm -hmm. You, you know, it, it just becomes an excuse for Carrie to wear a lahanga, which is not a sari, by the way which everybody, you know, they refer to them as saris, but they're apparently lahangas, which is a different type of dress. So even something as simple as that isn't vetted or authentic. Well, right? also, here's another thing I wonder. I mean, Diwali can, I, I mean, it feels, a, feels reductive to me to say it's just about the light triumphing over dark. And part of yeah. me is like, and, and the thing that I'm really realizing I'm invested in and have been invested in my whole life is I think we we need to embrace the dark more in our lives because I think the dark mm -hmm. there's a I mean you get you have dark soil there's there is richness in the dark and we are unfortunately a culture that and I just thought if someone if another I wonder if another culture if a European culture was talking about Diwali if they would have said something different about what what the what that celebration is about and what that day is about. Um, well, it's funny because like really Seema's uh, explanation is like Wikipedia 101, right? Thank like you. I'm like, okay, check that. Like this is a woman who's experienced it her entire life. Um, you, you would think she would have more to say about it, right? Or, or something less rote in other words. Well, it's also su super convenient for her to say that because it serves Carrie's story. Exactly. It's all about serving Carrie's story. And the weird thing about it is like, literally, it's the opposite of what she says, right? So then Carrie's in this shop, she sees something she likes, she invites herself to Diwali. And then the woman's like, it's fine. It's cool. I invited you. No, you didn't. And then it's like cultural appropriation. No, it's not because you're appreciating it. And then Carrie literally goes, good, because I appreciate this sorry over here. And then she appropriates mm. it. She uses mm -hmm. it. She takes it for herself mm. without any depth, without any um, real curiosity. Mm. Um, she's going to like, mm. you know, live off the fumes of the light of Diwali. She's using mm. that for her benefit. She's not giving mm -hmm. anything back. She's not amplifying. It is like the exact opposite of what they're trying to flippantly mm -hmm. um, 
right off that it is. Now, an Indian woman wrote that episode, and this is what I mean. So you have this Indian writer who writes the episode, and they're having these conversations in the writing room, right? Cultural appropriation, appreciation. They say in the podcast, this was a big discussion. I, I would almost promise you it was the Indian woman who said exactly what Seema says. And then it was co-signed by the power dynamic in the room. So as soon as they heard from the one Indian perspective that it was okay, they were like, good, we're off the hook. And um, that's, again, that's an example of the writer's room gone wrong. Now there's limitations. You can't have like a room of 20 writers where there's all these different perspectives, but I don't yeah. know. What do you, I just, what do you I, here's a, what do you think could have happened to have eliminated or eliminated a lot of this well we're learning from the situation for one and what it what it does bring about but i just i mean i wonder i guess i learned in a project i was working on if you're writing about cultures that you don't know you can't be in charge of it unless unless you have done intensive research uh or lived exactly. it and or and if you're going to bring in someone who who did live it they need to have the same power that yes. you have they have to be equals you need to now i don't know michael patrick king and you know it, it we are, there's always that level of like we're in the industry should we be saying things about people in the industry whatever i'm sure he doesn't listen to his podcast <laughs> but what i have sensed from listening to him in the writer's room is this is a man who is very comfortable with his power who is very comfortable with having been in power for a very long time and also is very comfortable being having power over women because the two other women who come from the original series are, are that they are women right but he has power over them as well um, and you can tell in terms of their dynamics with each other and so that becomes the issue then because even though you've brought in this indian writer um you still have to jump that hurdle that she emotionally probably can't because she can't believe she's in the writer's room with Michael Patrick King, the creator of Sex and the City, her co-creator. Mm -hmm. And his research, if I'm not, what I can assess mm -hmm. is his research was having her in the room because it's, so, it's possible for someone who is not in the culture to still learn enough about it to be like, are we being kind of surface here with our explanation of Diwali? Mm -hmm. Do I actually know what cultural appreciation and appropriation is versus just hoping that um, uh, a, another, a person from another culture co-signs what I want to do? Like that's the real work um, that isn't happening in those spaces, which is the result mm -hmm. of, you know, what we have with, and just like that. Um, let's, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the way they're handling age. Like, oh, tell me, no, ex uh, explain that to me. How, how are they behaving that feels older? Everything is so wildly self-conscious about age to the point where, mm. um, I mean, getting older has its stuff. Yes, I'm a little more achy. Sure, I feel my face has changed, but I don't lead with it. And perhaps there are other women who do, but the general consensus from other um, folks who I've been listening to and reading about 
is the way in which they are treating these women and the age that they are, all the, from way, how they're dressing, mm-hmm. from how they're sort of complaining about mm-hmm. it, how they practically, it just feels like given up on life, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I have just found to be so um, unfortunate, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It certainly isn't aspirational, as I was talking about. What What is, what's your take on it? Well, it's, I love this question because I, I have not thought about that before this moment. I, I mean, I, I have, although I'll say during the watching of some episodes, I go, oh, it feels awful to get older. And I, I just turned 55. So, and I'm like, but I don't feel that way in my life. Now, I wonder, I, so I'm just wondering, is it New York City? Is, is it different being 55 in New York City? Is it different being 55 in a high powered, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I I just think, I think it's time to change. I love that you said earlier that the that Sex and the City was aspirational. What I wish it could be aspirational about age that we are getting. You know, we are with it. They're simplifying a lot of things and the complexity of getting older and the, and. And and also the the face work the face work bothers me because I'm part of me goes I think these women could be really freaking amazing, and beautiful if I just saw what they really look like. Yes, here's like if if I'd been in the writers' room, right? I think I would have pitched. This is what I mean by like yeah, along the lines of what you're saying, and it not feeling aspirational in in, in any way, like. Do we want these women to inspire us in any way, or do we want to just all just be like, yeah, it's kind of just a slow drag till death, which is a little <laughs> bit what this all feels like. Yeah. And I am personally at one of the most vital, exciting times of my life in terms of really starting to narrow in on what brings me joy, mm-hmm. what I want to do, what I want to create, what I want to mm-hmm. say. And there are just things that have begged questions this entire time in terms of what could have transpired in these past 15 years. Is it 15 or 10? Whatever it is from the second movie to here. And it has a little bit to do with, again, choices you make in the writer's room. So let's say things had started in the middle for these women. And where we find Carrie isn't as a hired hand on a podcast, mm. but with her own podcast, mm. who's continued to successfully mm. Um, publish books like what's this sad the sad song about like you know books aren't happening anymore first of all yes they are second of all um why would her career just like dwindled and faded um and why would she why isn't she have her own podcast where she's you know interviewing Gloria Steinem Mm -hmm. and talking to interesting women and like what um her entire life she's really living big's life which is not something that I think was a very strong choice. Why couldn't Charlotte have integrated being a mom and being um, going back to her love of art and working um, within that world again? I mean, this idea that, yes, Charlotte always wanted a family and to be a mom, but we're meeting at her, her at a point where both her children are really self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And she's still in the kitchen during the day, fully dressed, cutting up snacks mm-hmm, for them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it doesn't, it, it isn't uh, invaluable what she's doing, but I just think that they could have made her much more interesting and complex. Right. And I think Miranda should have been fully engaged in this new world of um, uh, 
the type of law that she wanted to practice mm-hmm. and that Naya could have been a coworker mm. that we are meeting in the meeting in the middle of their um, dynamics. With That's interesting. Other. So I, what I hear you saying is like, they've got, they've, they've cut out complexity and they're simplifying things versus, cause I think as we get old, I, I what I found as I've gotten older, I'm nothing. I realize nothing is black and white. I understand that there's things to consider, and I think that is a gift of getting older. I don't know if, and yeah. I wonder if our new the generations coming up know that things are complex. I wonder if they they know right. that already in a different way that I didn't when I was their age. Well, maybe I don't. I don't know, but I just there's no gift in what you just said. The gift that you know, um, with age comes more complexity and nuance and interest. They're not giving any gift to these yeah. women. Um, or the or the, or the giant, audience, or because the audience, I I feel because right. I did think oh my god I'm going to be squeezed out I feel this yeah. and it's so I so appreciate you bringing this up. I mean they've always felt that way about age, which is I think the writer's own vanity around it because like Carrie was like moping around at 38 already starting to feel too old. So you know it it is a very specific perspective they have you know. But it's just unfortunate because there's so much more, you know, richness that they could mine. And I feel like, oh, and the other thing with Miranda is I would love to have seen a complicated thing happening with this emergence of her interest in Shay. Why can't, why does Steve have to be emasculated? And like this last episode, he was literally acting like Bozo the Clown. Like, what was right, happening? Like, uh, he's like, he's yell ha- it, rah, what's well, happening? Well, and also this man has had sex with her for years. I think he has an idea of how her, uh, he's familiar with her I body. So. He has, he has a family, because they, they've communicated and they had good sex at one time. What the heck is going on? One time Steve was freaking hot. He, he rocked her world and now he is a shell of himself and you know, they could have done better with this storyline. What if they had the conversation around, I still love you. I still want to have sex with you, but I also want to have sex with yes. them. And can we make this yes. work? And can we create something yes. new? Like, yes. why do we have to go with, and, and you know, they it, it's never been about the men, but the way the men are portrayed, I mean, Harry finally grew some balls in this episode, yes. pardon my, yeah. you know, crassness, but yes. up until then, he yeah. was just wandering around waiting for his colonoscopy appointment. Like, what is going on, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> why can't it be more complicated? Yeah. Yes. yes, you know? Um, and nobody was in there. And but you know what's funny, Cheryl, is I've thought about this because I'm a writer. I I, you know, I would love to be in a writer's room. I I feel to some degree, and I'm talking about like how they're, you know, trashing everything about being older, but like to some degree, it's still a dream of mine. And it is possible that I've aged out of that. No, right? no, no, I don't agree with that. Day. I I it is a young sport, I'll tell you that. Um, just in terms of like how long you have to work before you can even have access to things like that. But also, we're in a culture where, like, you know, you make a viral video and suddenly you have book deals, and who? So who knows? I, I won't do that to myself. But um, what I realize, because as you know, I'm opinionated, and as you know, I don't do a great job of, I don't, I don't suffer fools lightly. I think that if I'd been in that writer's room. I would have gotten fired. <laughs> I mean, I just think I would have had so many issues and had to say something and wouldn't be able to play the game that I would have been, I probably would not have ended 
with that writer's room. I think they would have let me go. But that might have been a gift for them to have uh, to even have you in the room for a bit. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. because I sometimes think even when you blow something up and you let someone go, hopefully what they said still lingers. You know, that yeah. there's a sense of I mean it would have had to have been a culture that where my constantly disagreeing would have been welcome. And I just, it, you can tell from the podcast, it's a very yes culture and the yes going upwards, right? So that it goes back to the power mm -hmm. source. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do, I, I feel like um, everything that they're doing uh, just suffers from a simplicity that, that, the audience doesn't deserve. I don't think they trust their audience. I think we're a lot smarter than they think we are, mm -hmm. a lot more interesting and complex. I know mm -hmm. I am, and I know it's a broad range. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there is a superficiality and a materialism that comes with the show that is why it was so popular. Um, but, and, and hearing myself say that, I'm like, well, that's, but that's not what the problem is with the show. Although the privilege is a catastrophe, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we have Carrie buying and selling apartments. like. Oh my God. Oh my God. Right? When, when she said, I have to sell this, I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can even do that in the, you, can, you can't do that yeah. in the city of Chicago. I mean, you have to own it at least for a year, I believe. But it's so funny. So thank you for talking to me about this because it really has been like, I, I literally was like lamenting to my sister, like, I don't have anyone to talk to about this because she doesn't watch. Um, and it has been like, you know, having a piece of food in your teeth that you can't get out. So it's like a great relief to like be able to sort of exercise some of these things that have been on my mind. And um, for listeners, I hope it's an opportunity for you to sort of um, uh, just sort of consider those dynamics. It's never as simple as it looks when you gather a collective together from diverse perspectives. And you have to make sure that the, you know, the system is in place where people can really put forth um, ideas that aren't just sort of first draft, simple, easy, um, or what we've seen before, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Cheryl. Thank you so much, Tanya. It's been it's been a, a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Um, tell us about your podcast. So my podcast is launching tomorrow on January fourteenth, which uh, and it's called Friends I'm No Longer Friends With. It is about women and all genders uh, breakups with a very close friend, how they move through it, and how do they grow from it. Um, so I welcome you. I'm very excited for you. I'm very proud Thank of you. you. Um, well, this was fun. I hadn't been on mic for a while. And, you know, that's another good thing. And just like that is brought to me is I'm back on the mic, people. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye. Maybe it'll be all right. Maybe you're all wrong. Amazing Grace. Thank you, Lord. Bobblehead. Shut pop. Work a lot. It's never sweet. Yes, it is. No, it's not. This whole